and she cried out in being crushed to dust, God, why are you doing this to me? And then all the crushing left. And God spoke to her and said, I've always had my hand on you to keep that crushing from happening. Hello and welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, Moving Forward in Truth and Love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel. You're listening to part two of a conversation with Dr. John Rankin. We actually recorded this uh, in one sit-down, so we broke them up into two because we had so much to say. So please listen to part two of my conversation with Dr. John Rankin, uh, President and Founder of Theological Education Institute International. The thing is very hard to understand for modern people because it just it's such a different way of understanding what evil is in that the odd thing is that evil actually almost proves that God does exist. And that's, I think, very interesting from an atheistic point of view because they're saying, well, why is there evil if God exists? Well, and the problem is, is that so much, and you say this in your book, that evil people, modern people like to think of evil as two things fighting against each other. Duality. A duality. But this is not what evil is. It's like, it is, like we were talking before, it is a parasite. It is a lack, a deficiency. And it can only be existing, one, if there is a God, mm-hmm. and two, if we have freedom of choice. Exactly. Now, let, let's unpack this a little bit. Um, in one of my forums with David Silverman, a president of American Atheists, and this is on YouTube, um, I, I, I wrote up this little ditty, and I'll tell you how it begins. Um, I, I said, David, uh, I said, um, the problem with atheism is, is that it doesn't exist. I said, because atheism, uh, the two words in the Greek, ah and theos, means without God. And if God doesn't exist, then atheists can't exist, and you can't exist. And we had a lot of fun from that point forward. So, but, but, but here's a deeper reality. We've got two choices in life. This is part of what I'll be uh, speaking to the House of Lords. That is a freedom for or a freedom from. So in Genesis 2.16, in feasting you shall continually feast. That is the freedom for the good, the creative, and the beautiful. There is no evil present. But, and we'll come back to this, we're free to say yes or no to it. See, because if God forced us to, to do the good, it wouldn't be good. He'd be a slave master. He's not that. So to be free to say yes, we have to be free to say no. That opens the window for the nature of evil. But before we get there, let me come back to your atheist. Um, an atheist is someone who believes in a cold, godless cosmos that somehow by chance mechanisms, the origin of which cannot be defined, produce the hot Big Bang. So one time when I was on uh, a national public radio in Albany on the 20th anniversary of a Cosmos uh, publication by Carl Sagan, this macroevolutionist I was with, um, uh, I said, well, what comes before the hot Big Bang? He said, oh, uh, science doesn't investigate that. I said, oh, a bummer. I said, because theology investigates both theology and science. You know? <laughs> so, 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 so I'm interested in that. And we all have to be. If you believe in cause and effect, Okay, right. you trace that back to the hot Big Bang. Yes. Now, do you know what's really interesting about this? Part of the cause and effect means you and I are here as persons. Okay, if we're here as persons, and you and, and, and let's say you take the macroevolutionary posture, which I don't, but you still believe it produced personhood, it means that what preceded the hot Big Bang has to be a greater person in order for us as persons to exist right. through whatever process. But he can't be part of it because he's got to be. Immaterial. 
um, he's got to be outside of, well, uh, 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 be, of the constraints be, of what be, he actually created. Be, be careful about the word immaterial, uh, but but outside, yes. So, for example, you've just wandered into Einstein and Goodell. Okay. Yeah. So Albert Einstein says the theory of relativity: you cannot understand a closed system until you step outside of it. And then you can analyze And none of us it. can. Right. This is, this, is what, this is what C.S. Lewis talked about. It's like, trying, it's like saying, you know, it's, it's like t- telling, um, uh, what is it, Hamlet to go up the attic to find Shakespeare. I mean, it's right. like, it's, it's a very interesting well, kind of thing. Yes. Or even get outside of your own egomaniac self <laughs> to actually see who you are and, right, and see right. the humanity of others. And then Kurt uh, uh, Goodall, his um, mathematical genius friend, in his incompleteness theorems uh, in the late 20s, early 30s, proved that you can't prove that 1 plus 1 equals 2. He proved that mathematically, starting point in the book here. But once you step outside and assume in the world of positive integers that 1 plus 1 equals 2, all math, art, science, music works beautifully. So that's the assumption of Genesis 1, in the beginning God. God is outside the material universe, so exactly on, on par. But back to our atheist friends. What they believe is a blind faith. Ours is a seeing faith, okay? Mm-hmm. Theirs is a blind faith of something spit forth a cosmos. But here's the key thing. There's no telos, no good end to it. The cosmos is uncaring and godless, doesn't care about you or me, and at the end swallows us up and spits us out without even a burp. So isn't that evil? Yeah, by that, atheistic well. perspective, because it dehumanizes. And they don't want to be dehumanized. So because of brokenness in their lives or their thinking or something like that, they're protesting against the church. The bottom line is with Dan Barker, for example, uh, a, a co-president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. So I did eight forms with him, and then mm-hmm, he cut mm-hmm. off, didn't want to do, do them anymore. And we can come back to that if you want to know why. But Dan was an... And ever- I, w- I would encourage people, though, if you're listening to this podcast, to go and find those debates, because we obviously don't have Dan Barker here, and he's right. not able to, to answer your and accusations he, and he, and right he refuses to... to uh, converse with me publicly anymore. All right. Well, <laughs> Dan, if you're listening, uh, which you probably won't, but maybe some of your... The invitation is always there. Yeah, okay. But what happens is that Dan... In the Freedom From Religion Foundation, he used to be an evangelical pastor. Mm-hmm. He still earns money from songs he wrote in the 1970s. Okay? Wow. And then he never gave a, a, a sufficient answer for me as why he became an atheist. But in the first seven of the eight forums, I kept saying, Dan, freedom from religion, what are you free for? Mm-hmm. He could never argue that. And so what happens is that we either have a freedom from violation. That yeah. commands human history. Or a freedom for, and that's only found in Genesis 2. Now, you said something very interesting, which I actually quoted in, in my book, Lighthouse Faith, is that you don't really have – you've never met a true atheist. You've met a lot of people who are angry at God. And I, I, I met a friend of yours once at, at your place in the Upper West Side. Uh, you, uh, you introduced me to several years ago. And she was uh, – she said she was a positive atheist. I thought she was more yes, agnostic. I know who you mean. Yes. But we won't mention her name right now. Uh, no, I don't remember but her I name. Do, I but do, she was the most pleasant person. She is a very pleasant person. But, you know, very, what's very interesting, and you point this out as well, is that a lot of people who um, don't believe in God have um, incredible moral standards and ethics. And they get mad at injustices. Yes. And get very judgmental about those mm-hmm. things. And that's always a curious thing for me. It's like if you don't believe in God, why is it you believe that there is an objective right. s- standard of morality that exists? Because if there is no goodness, if there's no objective mm-hmm. standard which exists, you know, from a, from a religious people, you know, that exists in the goodness of God, mm-hmm. then why do you object? Because then it reduces all morality to the human level. Well, this is the problem they have. So they're reflecting the image of God in denying the image of God. 
but it's visceral. It is not intellectual. Okay, yeah. so the intellectual arguments only go so far. You know, uh, you know, maybe with Burton Russell and uh, the other fellow, his colleague who became a Christian, intellectual arguments may be of interest. But when I started this podcast by saying that evil is whatever dehumanizes, every atheist friend of yours knows what it is to be dehumanized, and that's right. what they're protesting. So. I affirm them in their protest, but I also diagnose they are seeking freedom from violation. So uh, Martin Luther was seeking freedom from violation. Mm -hmm. All human history is seeking freedom right. from violation in one form or another. So my question is where do we ever – well, first, do we grasp the freedom for in Genesis? And mm -hmm. then secondly, how does the freedom for come into a freedom from uh, uh, violation and actually trains, change society. That's my goal. You know, I want to go back to, because um, we started this conversation talking about Las Vegas, and I yes. hope we're talking, uh, um, this podcast, we're going to break up into a couple parts, and hopefully we can focus just on this Las Vegas issue, mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people really want to understand um, why this happened. They want to get back to this idea of evil. We've established that evil is dehumanizes um, us, anything that dehumanizes us. And certainly you can agree that the church has been guilty of dehumanizing but people. But we've yet to arrive at the source for evil. Exactly. The source for evil. And that's the thing. The source for evil. That's the thing that we need to get at. Okay. Um, but, but also... Chapter, what, what the, chapter 7 in that book. Yeah. <laughs> or chapter, or when chapter 6, rather. Alexander Solzhenitsyn had an incredibly um, wonderful quote, and I did, I'm not doing the long version here. You can look it up online. But he says, the battle line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man. And, yes. I, and every man is every person, every whatever. It's man in the, in the universal sense of, of, of humanity. Um, and this, I think, when I, whenever I've said this to people who are basically secular, they get very angry because they like to think that they are good people, right. that there's nothing wrong with them. I'm a good person. Um, I, you know, I can work my way into heaven. Um, I think, you know, I'll go to heaven because I'm a good person. But that's not the standard. And in fact, the thing is, if if that's the standard of getting into heaven, then um, I know I'm excluded. Because I don't, and, 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 and since I'm not a good person. And that, and that introduces other debates we don't have time to get right. into here. I, but, but, but what you're pointing out is that the atheist has a standard of goodness. And yet, on the other hand, when atheism is unleashed uh, sociopolitically, you get Mao Zedong. Yeah, you, you get, get Stalin, Joseph, you, you get, get Stalin. Hitler, you get yeah, those you get Ho Chi Minh. And, and, and so, so what happens is that intellectually, an atheist has no ability to define good and evil and to uh, approve of one and oppose Emotionally, the other. Emotionally, they have But the not intellectually. Well, well let's the, go the, back. The, I want to go back the, to Stephen their, Paddock, though. Therefore, the emotions is far more important at relating to atheists. This is one of the things that um, we, we have a problem with, the source of evil. And I think that's what people want to get at when they talk about Stephen Paddock. Where is the source? Why mm -hmm. did this happen? And why is it that this person who gave no indication that he could explode one day and kill mm -hmm. all of these mm -hmm. people would one day erupt? And it's not like... Like, it's not like one day somebody steps on your foot in the subway and you go off on them. It's not like that. This was premeditated. You have to yeah, buy the guns. You have to, you have to get the hotel room. You have to, you know, plan the cameras outside in the hallways to do all of that. That is premeditation. Mm -hmm. But there is an anger yes. to evil that is, that's very much similar to the anger um, and, and the intellectual atheism. I know people are going to kill me on this one because that is behind the Stalins, the Hitlers. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I, there I, is a methodical saying that says somebody deserves this. I have seen because they have def they have they have offended 
my false god. Um, except that I don't know that many of them think about their false god being defended. That might be a theological No, that's a theological position yeah. that most people are unaware because this ra- is you, ra- and, you and I know that Tim Keller, and Tim Keller is a very, very yeah. big on deep idols. Yes, And he yes. talks about the deep idols that no one knows that they've gone. Right. You know, the surface idols are the ones like, well, you know, I haven't killed anybody today. I've done this. And right. But the deep idols are the ones, are the sins that control your life that you never see. And now, that's the problem. And, that's, and, I think this, and, this is what we're dealing can, with Stephen Paddock. And you can make the good into an idol. Uh, yes. Uh, you can make the Bible into an idol yes. by worshiping the book and not the content of the book. Right. Now, um, okay, uh, back, to, back to the question of, of, of evil and the origins of evil. Um, or or, or this, the atheist. They are reacting uh, not so much that their idols are being threatened, but because things they expected out of life that were good were shattered. Mm-hmm. So they're in a reactionary position. And I honor anyone who's reactionary because that includes all of us. Back to Solzhenitsyn, okay? We should react to violation. But if you only react to it, a reaction to reaction just deepens the quagmire that we're in. Okay. How do we cut through that, okay? And that's where Jesus comes in. Uh, but, but we don't know Jesus until we really know the whole Hebrew Bible and its expectations of the Messiah. So back to the origins of evil. Here is uh, – I'll try to organize a couple simple thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, if we are not free, then the universe is evil, and, and most everyone will agree with that. Okay. Okay. So what is the cost of freedom? What is the nature of freedom? So all the pagan deities let, – let's go to the Babylonian Genesis. Okay. The Babylonian Genesis, the most ancient pagan uh, cosmo, cosmogony uh, or, or, um, theolo- or um, philosophy of the, of the origin of the universe, um, starts with finite gods and goddesses. We don't know where they came from. They beat up in each other. They beat up on us. And out of the violence, the, the, our heavens and earth is made out of the split skull of a killed goddess. Okay? And out of her split skull and out of her split body, the conquering god makes the heavens with one half of her carcass and the earth with the other half of the carcass. And men and women are made to be slaves to the gods who are slaves to elements they can't control. So the quintessence of paganism from its origins is slavery to the fatalisms of gods and powers we can't control. Mm-hmm. Now, prior to that, and greater than that, is Yahweh Elohim. In his Hebrew name, the only written concept in history of the one who is greater than space, time, and number. His power is immeasurable, and it's only good to bless and benefit us. So we are made in his image. So all of our relational qualities, our creative qualities, are finite. His are infinite. We can't understand that. So he makes us to govern the earth the way he governs the heavens. So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's his domain and our domain, politics from Genesis 1.1, okay? The kingdom mm-hmm, of God mm-hmm. versus false kingdoms. So he wants us to share in his governing of the good creation all the creativity. I mean, when we compose a song, when we do the simplest thing of, of, of cleaning the dishes after a good meal, we're governing, Okay, or whether you're in politics or, or science, we're all governing, we're all managing, we're all being creative within a healthy human society. God ordained that for us, and he gave it to us. But here's, here's the reality. If God forced us to accept the goodness, he would be evil and no more than a pagan deity. Therefore, the, the um, uh, paradox of freedom is that we're not free to say yes to God's goodness unless we're free to say no. So the Garden of Eden gives us an unlimited menu of good choices. In feasting you shall continually feast. One prohibited fruit. 
And that prohibited fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, is, is incredibly misunderstood. And there's honest debate on what it means. My best understanding is this. It's a merism, which in Hebrew means opposites. So you know how far does God separate our sins from us as far as? The east is from, from the, west. the west. Okay, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. So that's both. I get an A on the test, right? Yeah, you, you do. You get an A plus uh, <laughs> uh, because you answered it ahead of time. Okay, so, so, so <laughs> good notes. So anyhow, um, in both cases, alpha omega is the domain of ta- time, east and west the domain of space. They're both finite, but they're the best we can understand. God's greater than both. Okay, so what happens is knowledge. The knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is knowledge of everything there is to know between good on the one hand and evil on the other hand. Only Yahweh Elohim is great enough to know everything there is to know and, crucially, to know evil in its totality and not be tempted or polluted by it. Therefore, for Adam and Eve to want to eat of that is to say, number one, God is not good. He withheld something. Number two, they can play God and understand and digest poison. And number three, they die because they can't digest poison. So they're playing God, and they're not accepting his goodness. So anyone who says God is not good is basically dealing with evil and the influence at that point. Now, we still come back to the question of what is the origin of evil. The origin of evil is God's gift of human freedom. Now, some Calvinists don't like this, okay? (laughs) But on the other hand, if you read hyper-Calvinist stuff and the covenant of works, it says you're in the garden, you have a probationary period, you have to earn your way to heaven, and some people go to heaven, some go to hell, and they won't have had choice in some forms of hyper-Calvinism, you know? So people are of goodwill. There's many Calvinists who don't believe in that, but but they look at uh, sovereignty. Here's my argument on sovereignty and choice, you know? Only a sovereign God can give freedom. The pagan deities can't. That's your only alternative. And he can only give freedom in the risk-taking love for us to say no, otherwise it's not freedom. And then once we blow it and make the wrong choice, the rest of history in the Bible is him moving toward the cross to pay the price for our sins and and rising again to give us the resurrection life. And so that's the storyline. So I invite anyone who has a different idea uh, to come forth and show something that is more intellectually and ethically and relationally satisfying. You, Lauren, are free. I am free. Sin, violation comes in and, 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 and messes up that freedom. And it began with Adam and Eve. Would we have done any differently? No. Yeah, we, w- right. we, w- we would have been just as vulnerable. So, so what happens, is, and there's far deeper um, texture, this, this uh, reality as well. So what happens is you either have an evil universe and evil gods. There's no other idea in human history right, right. that want to crush you. <laughs> or you have the good creator who gives you the freedom to say no. And in that freedom to say no, and therefore, throughout the entire course of biblical history, no one is ever judged except for deeds they chose to do against the good God. This is um, has incredible implications for a modern society that has made certain things good that uh, the Bible has said were evil. Right. Uh, and one of the things, and I wrote about this uh, in a, a dot-com piece, uh, which I'm hoping is probably posted at, at either this weekend or soon. But the idea that, and this goes back to the Solzhenitsyn um, mm-hmm. part, that there's the battle line between good and evil actually runs between the human heart uh, of, every, of everyone, that no one wants to believe that there is 
a seed of evil in them. And maybe that is the knowledge that exists within us that this is possible to do. It's possible for me to do the most heinous acts. And no one wants to believe they can do this. One of the one of the issues in this, the, the Las Vegas shooting is that um, this guy seemed just like us to a certain point, right? So to, like so many people to a certain point to a certain point that he's just a guy who went to work every day didn't have any as far as we know mommy issues um, didn't have any poverty issues but his uh, father was a his father his father well we do find that little father people don't fall far from the from the tree the fruit doesn't fall far from the yeah. tree we understand that but not everybody who has father issues like that cre- you know blows yeah, but, people but, but, away but, but, but some people some people react in a different but, way they want to be ultra good well that's true but that was an extreme um, father to be on the FBI's most wanted list um, but the other but, son but, but, doesn't but, seem to I mean the, the brother doesn't seem to be in that vein well, either so now, that's another now issue you've, now you've pointed out something that's so true how do we deal with suffering Suffering makes us bitter or better. Mm-hmm. And it really all depends on whether we acknowledge our need for God. And that's a real zone of mystery. And I think you're bringing that up. So when you st- talk about the suffering, you're talking about the suffering of maybe Stephen Paddock himself. You know, how did he deal with it? Are you talking about the suffering after the shooting? No, the suffering of himself. Because if every boy wants to look up to his father. Mm-hmm. And when you have that ripped off in such a dramatic element like this, you don't know the poison that puts into the soul. And then if you have other places of rejection, you don't have other fatherhood love and community come into your life and strengthen that, then you can be a ticking time bomb. And most ticking time bombs don't go off. Okay, right, but, but, right. But, but I think somehow are, they're diffused along the well, way or they're thwarted in, along the way. Because they find ways to vent. Yeah. ways to deal with stress in a more productive way. Uh, and I think that's the majority of human race. And that comes back to Solzhenitsyn's observation. What's most deceptive is people in the church who think they're righteous mm-hmm. or, or put aside, oh, I'm not like the drunkard or the prostitute mm-hmm. or the swindler. That's actually in some ways, well, C.S. Lewis writes about that you know, in, in, the, in the Screwtape Letters. That really is in some ways uh, the greatest deception. So, but regardless, to me, the mystery. Mystery is a word I don't use a whole lot, but mystery is anything that goes beyond space, time, and number, beyond human ability to understand. Having said that, I believe that in eternal life, after the first trillion years, we won't even have scratched the surface of what there is to know, okay? But God's given it to us to know, okay? So in our human stewardship, I separate between what is knowable by study uh, and by love and relationships versus what I know I can't know. Uh, and, and, And what I don't know is why people of different backgrounds turn out differently. We can examine it a certain way, and, and, and we don't know. But back to Solzhenitsyn, yes, it goes through every heart. So the question is, are we in a position where we will admit it or not admit it, privately or publicly? And the more that we privately shove it down, the more hardened our hearts can become. So, you know, Stephen Paddock, uh, who, who's to say what's happening there? But I, I would say from the little bit I know at this point, from a distance uh, observing. There's a lot of things. Uh, well, when people talked about him getting sullen and angry while gambling, yeah. okay? Yeah. And I, I don't know if he was a successful gambler. You know, most gamblers are not, you know. But he obviously had money. He was able to do it. But if, if you're gambling, gambling is an addiction. It's a stress alleviator. And if some people do it desperately for money. Uh, I'm, I, you know, I've never bought a lotto ticket. Last time I gambled was at my middle son's... Um, um, bachelor party to raise money for him for his honeymoon. 
And the to- only time I gambled before, the last time I ga- gambled before that was in Boy Scout camp. And no one would gamble with me because I always won. And, and do, you know, do you know why I won? I didn't care if I won. So I had a straight face. So the paddock kind of gambling was different then. Oh, hugely different. Yeah, I, I was just giving my, my touch point at that point. But I could see people getting angry, you know, mm-hmm. um, because they wanted to win. And what does that tell you about sort of maybe the evil that's in his heart or the, heart, what, what, the state of his heart? Let's circle back to that. So I mentioned to you in Genesis 3 where in the Hebrew it says, and the serpent angrily said to the woman, okay? And you read James 3. Where, which is the only place other than the words of Jesus, the word hell is mentioned, and the only place where the image of God is mentioned explicitly. Both, at, you know, James is a half brother to Jesus. It's very interesting why that's the case. But he talks about anger being set on fire by what? Hell. Hmm. You, you remember that? Yes. In James yes. 3? Have you ever experienced anger that just takes control of you? Yes. It wells up. It starts at a certain point. Being married will do that to you, actually. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't take marriage, but, but any proximity to people where you have to be honest, okay? Yeah. And, and marriage is, is the quintessence of that. But what happens is you can get angry at the slightest offense. Now, when I see places where I got angry at slight offense, I can go back and say, John, you were tired, you were harried. And you couldn't handle it right then. A different time, you could handle it. But that still doesn't excuse. Right. The point is there are always these touch points where we can be poked. Now, we deal with them successfully or not. If you have a loving father and mother at home that discipline you and teach you, you can learn to deal with that. If you don't and you go from freedom with boundaries in a good family to freedom without boundaries or license, you can get out of control very, very easily. It depends where you are able to get out of control and succeed. But it only succeeds for the moment. And then a tougher problem comes, a tougher hurdle comes, and the anger can build. And the natural human thing is, even in in the brokenness of sin, is to suppress that anger. But if you suppress, suppress, suppress it, you can push toward a seismic event. So what you don't know, what was happening in Stephen Pack's life, if just, again— you know, uh, armchair psychologist, um, if, if uh, actually psychology is a subcategory of theology, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> but, 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 but if you see the little clues that we have, like, like him being rude to his girlfriend at right. the casino, uh, with him getting sullen and angry uh, as, as the betting went on, uh, these things are things – so he's outwardly able to be quiet, but he's also removed. He's not a part of social intercourse in his retirement community. You know, he's, he's a loner, and anyone who's a loner is hurting. They are people who feel incapable of, of, of social communication or feel burned. They feel rejected. They feel anger may take over. There's all these things. So, so you, you know. So the- somewhere along the line, maybe in childhood, maybe in whatever, he learned to suppress anger. Do you think his father beat him? I, I have no idea, nor what I guess. But what I'm going to say is this. All along his life, it's growing. Okay. That, that would be the best general descriptive answer because to go beyond that, because that's consistent with human nature, and I think all psychologists uh, and theologians who, and pastors who deal with human beings know that this is a, a reality. We are, uh, I am, um, I told you that I met the Lord 50 years ago when I was 14, so if you do the math, it means I'm over 14 now. Yes. So, <laughs> so, 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 so if I look at 64 years uh, and, and, and I look at my whole life, I know that all of us are dealing with issues from childhood. Yes. Are we not? Yes. Blessings and curses and unresolved issues and so forth. Right. Early childhood, teen years, which are dangerous, 
you know, and, right, and quite right. cruel many times. Um, or early 20s and, and, a, and a, a job firing or not getting a job promotion you want. Uh, 10,000 things, you know. And, and in your book, you talk about some of your own struggles and something like that. Sure. So that's completely universal, okay? So what's the answer to that? The answer is biblically covenant community. In community, in the presence of God, he keeps his promises to us. He teaches us to keep our promises to one another, and the promises are for the good. And so when we are in those communities, we are the healthiest possible. So you can get people that can claim that they're a Christian, have good theology, and they're lone wolves, and they're utterly unhealthy. You can get other people who could have a community of atheists and could be far healthier because yeah. their community. And I think that's a quasi-oxymoron, but, but it's, it's possible. But, but other, other communities that have different theological assumptions, if you are growing up to respect your parents and to love your neighbors as yourselves, uh, you know, that, that, that's the greatest uh, health. Yeah. And so, so just his loner quality, all these things. And it's, it's just um, who knows what snapped or who knows what snapped over time where his resilience. Let me share a really neat story to you okay. uh, uh, that I heard uh, in Oxford a couple of weeks ago. A young woman uh, was uh, 14 years old, and, and she's British. Uh, at age 14, she was all set to commit suicide, not, be, not to get attention. She was dead set to do it without making a pun. Um, she was in a materially well-off world, but relationally a very painful world. Uh, and so she, and she was praying and seeking God. You know, from age 12, 13, 14, wasn't raised in a godly context. And, um, and she shared this for the whole church. It was really delightful. Um, and she um, uh, never heard God and, and, you know, wanting God to answer and never got anything that she could call an answer. So she had the date set at 431 afternoon, 1630 if you're in England, okay, 431 afternoon. Uh, the hangman's noose is all set, and, she, and she's all set to do it. And, and she's given up on God. And then at 1.30, a friend calls her, a Catholic friend she hadn't heard from in eight months or a year. And I forget the girl's name. She said, listen, I don't know why I'm calling you, but I could not call you. Don't do what you're going to do this afternoon. Promise me you're not going to do what you're planning to do this afternoon. Oh, my goodness. So she didn't. Out of fidelity to her friend not because of any sense of God at that point. Her life turned better. She got admitted to Oxford at age 17. She completed her studies. They're done now. She's married at age 22, okay? Um, but when she got to Oxford, she met some Christians who were meeting in, in, in the rooms. It started out as four, ended up with 26 kids crammed into a dorm room or whatever. Uh, and they were just worshiping the Lord freely. It's not what you bring unbelievers into, but she came in and she loved it. Do you know why she loved it? She knew some of the people there. She knew they were real. They were candid. No one was wearing a mask. When they worshiped God, God was real to them. She wanted the same reality. She saw character. She saw freedom. She saw purpose. All these things. So she prayed and prayed and prayed. And so she was praying one day, and then she felt, I forget the details, but she felt the touch of God's presence in prayer. And she kind of exhales, and then all of a sudden, she felt crushed to dust absolute dust with the weight of the world, and she cried out in being crushed to dust, God, why are you doing this to me? And then all the crushing left, and God spoke to her and said, I've always had my hand on you to keep that crushing from happening. Wow. And, and, and so, wow. So, so, you know, think of her life and think of what she struggled through. 
I have no doubt that if anyone, no matter what depth of pain they're in, will seek the living God, he will find you. Now, it won't be on your timetable, I can promise. Nothing in my life has ever been on the timetable, okay? <laughs> he knows the tapestry of the sufferings and the hopes and everything we're ordained for. Uh, and he also knows that, you know, the prophets longed to see the Messiah and didn't see him. They're lifelong hopes in the resurrection life. Everything they've longed for, everything God's gifted us with, from music to creativity to friendships, everything you can imagine, to feasting. Everything will be fulfilled. We'll get only a taste of the, of the power of the age to come. But, but this is the nature of the gospel, and every atheist is yearning for that. Every person is yearning for that. Stephen Paddock was yearning for it. But at some point, pain upon pain upon pain upon pain came in to do what is the unthinkable, but it's unthinkable because it's the, the exception that, that sometimes happens. John, I want to thank you so much. Um, we have... Um Run out of time, really, I think. We could, I could talk to you forever, but I want to make sure that people know to go check out your books because they are theologically sound. They are quite um, in-depth. Um, if you want to know a lot of background um, about books like Genesis and get John's books because he really uses his own translations of the Bible, which he goes into the Hebrew and the Greek. He does not rely on English, you know, the normal English translations. So a lot of the Hebrew is translated in a way that you will not find in the regular Bible, and it will give you some background. Um, and you go to uh, johnrankinbooks.com? johnrankinbooks.com is, okay. is for the books. And then the main website is teii.org. That stands for Theological Education Institute International, teii.org. And, and there you will see a whole range of topics uh, that we talk about. And on your right-hand side is join the TEI cohort if you want to become a part of um, my conspiracy to, <laughs> to advance freedom for in the face of freedom from. All right. John, Dr. John Rankin, uh, the founder and um, head of the Theological Institute, Ed, Theological Education Institute International. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I thank you so much. Um, you've really opened my eyes and I hope hopefully the eyes of many people who have listened to this. Thank you so much. Lauren, it's always a joy.